get you, Barbara. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Groovy. We all go a little mad sometimes. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Why are you shut about? Can't you close my eyes? So hello and welcome to a special Gavin Steph versus the Forces of Evil. I'm Steph and joining me as always, a man who no matter how much they try to replicate him, they can never better the original. How are you doing, Gav? You okay? Yes, I'm I'm very good, uh, Steph. And uh, like all sequels, we have to do something bigger, badder, better. But how do you feel about sequels, Steph? Um, I, I'm a hit or miss guy. I don't buy into this thing that sequels are sort of ruined horror, because as long as there's been horror, there's been sequels. And I'll, I'll throw sort of a name in later. But it's always existed. There's this kind of thing that especially happens around the 2000s where everyone talked about not having any original ideas. And it's the same thing that happens with cover music. People always talk about there's no new music. Well, you know, Hound Dog's a fucking cover and so is All Along the Watchtower and some of the best. They're all fucking covers. There's no original ideas anyway. So I don't buy into it. But as you said, if you can do it bigger and you can do it better and you can do it better, or you can just do it more fun, then I'm a big fan. Yeah, I just want sequels that just dial it up to about 75. And... (laughs) Yeah, and I like sequels as well because sometimes I'm not really interested in backstory. I don't really want to know about backstory. You know, I, I want to see a severed hand quite early on. I don't, I don't really need a lot of backstory. So sequels give you that. But on the subject of sequels, we have a, a very special guest to talk sequels with us. We have Todd Farmer. Todd is a screenwriter, an actor, responsible for Jason X, for Drive Angry, and for the remake of Bloody Valentine and uh, messengers and various other things. So, Todd, thanks for coming on. Sequels, how do you feel about sequels? And as a man who's written one, I suppose you have a... I mean, I love sequels. (laughs) I always did love sequels. I grew up with, uh, at least in the horror world, you grow up with, you know, every Friday night, you go to the video store and you grab a, a new sequel that's out. Certainly Friday the 13th, Halloween, Freddy. Sequel, sequel galore. And I think those kind of horror films lend themselves to sequels, don't they? You yeah. know, they uh, in the way that perhaps something like The Exorcist doesn't. You know, the Exorcist, yeah. Exorcist Two is awful. I quite like Exorcist Three, but I was uh, going to say, hang on, before we start slagging off Exorcist sequels, let's think about <laughs> Exorcist Three. Yeah, we're big. We're big Three fans. Yeah, and I, I think that brings something else to it. Again, it ramps it up again, and it, and it's. Yeah. Uh, far more psychological but so your career you've written a number of uh, horror films how did you fall into uh, writing horror um <clears throat> i went to school with um with a guy who dated a girl who went to school with dean laurie and dean <laughs> laurie had written my boyfriend's back and jason goes to hell for sean cunningham when sean cunningham had directed the first friday the 13th and so Dean and I sort of became friends over the phone and I wrote something for him. Um, I had an idea for a Bigfoot movie and he was like, no, nah, no, nah, nah. they did Harry and the Hendersons. I go, no, 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 not a comedy. Oh, horror. <laughs> of course, you know, I'm not the only person in Hollywood who's written a Bigfoot movie, but anyway, we wrote this thing called hunted together. And, uh, 
And eventually he said, I was living in Texas at the time. And he said, you know, if you're going to do this, you got to move out to LA. And I did. And then he uh, introduced me to Sean and Sean stuck me in his maid's room and had me work for three years writing. So that's kind of my start. Sounds a bit slave labor when you say just stuck me in the room. Well, it, well I, I don't know about slave labor, but certainly sleazy. <laughs> Sean, Sean was, Sean was great because Sean was one of those guys where he really, he let you, he worked, we worked out of his house. So he let you into his home. Like I could walk into the kitchen and grab whatever I needed. And anytime there was food, I mean, he's cooking steak, he's cooking burgers, but when it came, comes to money, he's going to fuck you. But he tells you in advance, <laughs> puts his arm around you and he's like, I'm going to teach you how to do this business, but I'm going to fuck you. And, um, <laughs> You know, but he used to do this thing where he was, he was like, how you could how you could screw others over, like you know, they, like you never pay anybody before five o'clock on a Friday because then the money stays in your account all weekend, so you're drawing interest on their money, and then he would never pay you before five o'clock on a Friday for three years. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of honesty about his dishonesty. That's the- there was total honesty with his dishonesty. He lived the man lived by a cowboy code. he probably still has but look we butted heads like crazy especially creatively but we but i mean i I have no career without him so you know my severed head came out of his budget so there you go yeah before we started recording we did talk about the fact that sort of a a few inches to your on our screens it's right now that your left is a your head staring back at you my head it's uh i don't know how it's like if you if you've worked with silicon at all it's very tender now like it's yeah yeah. i would say it's it's slowly disintegrating like you could so easily just shove your finger right into that so i have to be careful with it it's been in three movies now but uh i uh i I won't let it's retired because it's just too delicate at this point (laughs) therefore therefore it's out in my tool shed (laughs) <laughs> that seems fair. On one of our other yeah. pods, we, we talked about uh, in The Omen, David Warner's uh, decapitated head, that he took that away from the set. But uh, he, when he got divorced from his wife, his wife took it as part of the alimony payments. <laughs> That's funny. They Sean gave me the head in this nice little box. Sorry, I've got screws rolling around all over my desk. Um, Sean gave me um, this nice uh, clear box, put the head in it, but for whatever the chemicals in the head started deteriorating the box. So it's probably slowly killing me for you know, 20 years now. But um, oh, it was a lovely gesture because it's one of my favorite you know, items. I've also got the God Killer and there's a mask back there. And, it's some that. fantastic stuff. Is that Sparkly a real vampire pillow. Yeah, we will try and uh, save, uh, share a screenshot just to see Todd shed, which is possibly <laughs> the greatest shed in the entire world. And if it, it isn't, I'd, I'd love to see a shed that's better than that person. I mean, if you need any tools, I got them. <laughs> Most, a lot of them are in the back because I've been building uh, building some stuff in the back. But um, no, with disc cutters, yeah. chainsaws, severed heads, anything you could possibly need for run the home. <laughs> Yeah, it's all here. And granted, the chainsaw is battery powered, but you know, I like I like a more quiet chainsaw when I'm stop when I'm stealthing. <laughs> it's still a chainsaw. It'll still do the it's job. Still, it still it still cuts. 
So of your all your career and making films, whether it be writing, starring, what what's your favorite part of, of being part of film? Uh, I mean, I think my favorite part is being on set. Being on set's fun. It's it's exhausting. It's not um, it's not a nine to five job. It's it's a tends to be a twenty four hour job while you're in production, and um, but it's fun and it it encompasses everything that I like. When I was in college, I um I, I was in theater a lot, and so I enjoyed I enjoyed acting just from that standpoint. I don't necessarily love it in the movie business because there's a lot of hurry up and wait. So you know you you're on screen for two minutes and it takes, you know, three days to shoot that. But, uh, but the experience of being on set and seeing this entire group of very different people coming together to make this one thing happen, it's, it's kind of remarkable. And uh, it's militant in some ways, but uh, it, it works and it's fun. How protective are you of your uh, of your words as a screenwriter? Do you, do you um, want it to be exactly as you've written it, or are you all right for directors to uh, to work within the boundaries of what you've written? Oh, I'm not at all fucking precious. <laughs> I um, I I know, and I learned early on that my job as a writer is not to protect my words. My job as a writer, maybe maybe at first it is, but certainly once I get to the director, my job is to help fulfill the director's vision so if he has a different because if we're butting heads it's not going to work it's going to you're going to it's going to show on screen and so <clears throat> i will argue story points early on but when it gets to the director i tend to just back down and let the director do his thing same way with actors because when i i've been in my own in my own films and i've i've get to a point where I'm saying the words that I wrote and it's not working. It's not coming out as I, as I envisioned it. So I changed the words and if Bill Fickner needs to change the words, then you let Bill Fickner change the words. Yeah. You know, I think with your stories, with your screenplays, there's an internal logic to them that you don't always see in horror films. You know, there are absolutely ridiculous things happening, but they all work well within the universe of the story. And, and I think, that's something particularly in horror that seems to be forget forgotten now you see some films and there's no internal logic whatsoever to what's happening mm -mm. so i mean certain certainly with jason x i mean i ripped off alien and aliens <laughs> if you look at the two if you look at those films structurally and you look at jason x i mean nearly beat for beat i ripped off the structure and um so it feels it feels relatively it feels like a real story to me uh, even though it's, you know, it's the 10th sequel. <laughs> so. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So clearly, Jason is uh, a very established character. There had been well, nine sequels prior to that. What's it like writing for such, such an established character, which, which has had various incarnations? Uh, it, does that make it harder? Or by the 10th film, is it a case of all bets are off and I'll do what I want? I think it might be harder now because I know more than I did when I started. Like I didn't know it was hard back then. Back then I was young and stupid and I just thought this was exactly the way it was supposed to be. And uh, I remember I wrote a scene where <clears throat> there's a virtual reality scene at the end of the movie where yeah. the, the heroes are trying to distract Jason. And in the original script, he's, they're, they're trying everything they can think of all these weird, you know, things. There's giant, furry bunnies jumping around. I mean, it, it was a little stupid. 
but there was a sequence but that all came together with the, the final thing was they put jason's mom in the lake drowning <clears throat> and jason goes out to her and you think jason's going to save her and he dunks her and he drowns her and sean and jimmy the director were like you can't do that and sean was like no the only consistent in jason's life is his mom and i go but he's not the same anymore we have changed him physically into this other thing i'm showing that we have changed him emotionally as well and uh they were like no so then jimmy had the idea well what if he saves her and he pulls as he's pulling her out of the water from the waist down which is underwater is not rendered yet. So it's like these wire mesh looking glowy computerized lines. And I said, okay, fine. So I wrote it that way. And then when it came, when the day came, Betsy never made a, they wouldn't make a deal financially. So, so it's not there, but certainly there are people who protect his story and Kane, for instance, Kane Hodder, who played Jason <clears throat> said early on, there was a scene, it was on set where uh, uh, KM is this robot character who shoots him, he falls down and the camera's on him as he's getting up and Kane's like, no, you don't film me getting up. <laughs> what are you talking about? And he goes, it's too human. It's too normal. You never see Jason get up from a falling position. You can see him fall, but you never see him do this human characteristic of awkwardly climbing back to his feet. Now, I don't know what that means, but it's kind of cool. And so, yeah, everybody has different ways of protecting something that they're passionate about. And so I always love that. Yeah, and you know, Kane's got uh, an investment in the character clearly as well, yeah. and other they want what the character is, you know, beyond anything that's written, I suppose. I mean, you kind of touched on it already as well, but when you're coming up with that concept, at what point do you think, yeah, I'm going I'm to send this fucker to space? Because mm -hmm. uh, we've seen Jason do a lot. Right. Uh, I think Jason done more than anybody else i don't think i crossed any lines by doing that because you go back and look you know the original movie is not even about jason yeah and yeah. you know the second movie you know he's just some guy in a sack and and the timeline is weird because you know how old is he and and then you get to the third movie and it's in 3d he gets the mask which is completely now it's iconic you see that mask you think friday the 13th first two movies you didn't think that and so um and then you know you've got you know, he's fighting Carrie, telekinesis. You've got you've got one where he's not even in the movie. Uh, Jason goes to hell. They're body hopping. I mean, it, it is the one franchise that never did the same thing over and over, which I really like. Yeah. You go back and you look at some of the other franchises. It's kind of the same movie over and over. Certainly <clears throat> not all of them. Some stand out more than others. But the Friday the 13th series was the only one that seemed to me like it was always trying to do something, show the audience something different. Yeah, the, the only one of those kind of that that run of movies like Halloween, like uh, like Friday the Thirteenth. Halloween tried doing something different with Halloween Three, but then quickly got straight back into uh, well, the regiment. Obviously, yeah. they, they did Nightmare on Elm Street tried to as well, but they kind of forgot the scares. That Jason never stopped being creepy or spooky or scary, even through all the fun. Like I love Jason X because it's so much fun, which some filmmakers sometimes forget when they're trying to make the I just want to have fun when I'm there mm -hmm. it, it, it brought the fun but it kept all those horror elements and kept you scary and, and kept you on yeah. your toes which Freddie lost along the way somewhere yeah. and, and well, I think sorry yeah. uh, please don't talk no I was just going to say Freddie certainly started with it because I think of yeah. the three I mean Freddie walking down the, the alleyway with the long stretched arms I mean who, who I, I still 
you know, that's still a nightmare. Yeah. So, but Freddie rapping and Fat Freddie less so. Less so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think for me, I, I, why I love Jason X is because I, you know, I am of the view that sequels need to be dialed or right, right up, and, and you do that, you know, very strongly. It's just constant ideas. And like you say, the beats are there from Alien and Aliens, but you don't yeah. try to hide that either, which I think is... No. You know. I mean, I would have I would have preferred that it being even... I mean, I've softened to it over the years. I didn't I didn't love the finished product back in the day because I felt like it was too, it was too jokey. It was too self-aware. But at the time, Scream had come out and everything was sort of self-aware. And mm-hmm. this is what, you know, this was the mandate, make it more self-aware. So I embraced it and I wrote lines like he's screwed, which I don't love the line, but I understand. And it's also, I was taking it too seriously. It's, you know, it's the 10th movie. Come on. Yeah. So if you were, if you were asked again, you kind of just imagine there'd be nine Jason films and you were asked to write the 10th one now, would you write essentially the same film or would you try something different? Uh, I mean, I, if I were doing it, I would try something different, but I would probably suggest you go to Swift and Shannon and just let them do it. <laughs> I hope you wouldn't do something different because I remember the first time I watched Jason X being completely blown away by it. And it's become like one of my favorite films because of this. So, um, yeah. if there was any film that you give a sequel uh, treatment to now, or any franchise or, or single film, what, what would you choose? I mean, everything pretty much gets a sequel now, right? Um, or or a reboot. I mean, I, the, I'm working on. I'm legitimately right now working on a reboot. So, it's. Uh, it's funny because a lot of people come to me and they say, what would you, you know, like, like, why do you always, or, or they complain about sequels, they complain about reboots and that sort of thing. I've done a couple of original films. Nobody went to see them. I've done a remake. Everybody went to see it. And Jason X, despite the hate, is a very successful movie. It's like, it's still, you know, I still make as much money on Jason X as I make on everything else. So it's a, it's a, it's at least from a financial standpoint, it's a very good, it was a very good decision to do that movie. Um, I've still never forgiven, I've never forgiven the uh, cinema going public for not going to see Drive Angry, which I think is uh, the best Nicolas Cage film because I think it captures Nicolas Cage exactly as he should. It was, it was, it's the first time we wrote a movie where at the end of the day, other than budgetary reasons, we didn't have to rewrite it. It wasn't like somebody's coming in saying, oh, you know, make the hero a dog. I mean, you didn't didn't have that kind of <laughs> we showed it to the producers and, and we went all over uh, Hollywood meeting producer after producer after producer. And at the at the end, one of our agents said, you got to meet my we were done. We were about to make a decision. And they said, you got to meet Mike DeLuca. Mike DeLuca had run New Life. He wrote in the mouth of madness. I mean, Mike DeLuca was a horror fan. And um, we went in and met with him and he was. He was beautiful. He's brilliant. He was quoting lines back to us, the pink dildo line. I mean, he's, I mean, how do you not love someone that's doing that? And we said, well, what would you do? Because every producer had notes. And he said, I'd go make it. He had no notes. He said, go make it. And so that's what we did. So that's why I kind of love Drive Angry because it was, we just went and made the, the film that we wrote. We wrote it for Tom Atkins and Betsy Rue. And then DeLuca showed it to Nick and suddenly it became this bigger monster. 
I didn't realise that they'd be written it for Tom Atkins. I, at this point, I think I actually love the film more. Uh, I'm a huge yeah, Tom Atkins fan. It's, uh, well, we had, we had just finished uh, My Bloody Valentine, and we went in, we had this idea. We went in two weeks before the release, and we said, we've also got this, we'll do the sequel, because we assumed they were going to do a sequel. We'll do the sequel for you, but we want to do this down and dirty little action 3D movie, road movie. With we'll bring Tom Atkins and, and Betsy from from uh, Bloody Valentine, shoot it for like three four million, and uh, and that didn't happen. <laughs> they didn't well, want they didn't want to do a sequel. They didn't want to do anything. Gav, I'll give you a chance because Tom Atkins come up and sequels have come up so. I'll give you a chance to talk about Halloween three seasons of which later because I know that's one of your that's one of your favorites. So we'll definitely let me, let me scratch that off my list since we're going to talk about that anyway. <laughs> oh no, no, please feel free to. I, I, I we uh, we did on one of our episodes, and uh, Steph still has never got over the fact that uh, it won it won the episode against Ginger Snaps, and he's never really forgiven me for uh, for <laughs> Halloween three beating Ginger Snaps. All right. Ginger Snaps to me is a, a fantastic film. I, oh, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, I totally I, agree. I, I love um, Season of the Witch for what it is, but I, I still yeah. can't get my head around that. Uh, you talked about, about reboots that you've done as well, but mine's a, My Bloody Valentine almost had a sequel as well. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly that we, you know, the, the opening the opening is supposed to be sort of a, a complete homage to the original film. And then, but I mean, a lot of the stuff we kept, there's the, the love triangle and all that kind of stuff. When the script came to me, it was a completely different script. It was, uh, it was a pulp mine. Uh, the bad guy was a fire, uh, the miner was a fireman. I mean, it was a very weird, it was a very weird concept for a remake because it was far away from the remake. Yeah. Um, and then it became 3D and it became this whole other monster. And then I, I got naked. <laughs> There's a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. <laughs> this one. Well, I saw that in the cinema. So, like, you were naked, really big as well. There's a big ass. Like, you're on a big the guy anyway, but that was like, yeah, it's a lot of ass. <laughs> a lot of ass to put the public through. And you know, you a lot of times, like, I keep thinking of like Lethal Weapon. You come, there's a, there's a scene in it's Lethal Weapon two or three. I can't remember. But Mel Gibson's with some girl and then they're doing the, the dirty and then you cut away and you go do something else and somebody gets hurt. And then you come back to Mel Gibson just as he's pulling his pants up and you get a little flash of the ass. Yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> I just left that ass out there for a while. Let it soak into the public eye. It, it's, the, it's the sexual version of Jason standing up. You did Jason standing up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's been a while since... My bloody Valentine, the, the remake happened. Would you still be open to a sequel, or do you think? Oh yeah, I mean, every every year, we would reach out to the execs and say, "Hey, you know, that movie made a hundred million. We could we could do another one." And we've had we had a the take that we had would take place literally right after you see Jensen walk away. We were going to continue from right there, and uh, we did. We had that take for about three years. No, five years, five years. And then after that, we were like, well, it's been too long. Like you can't continue it at this point. Everybody's starting to look different, older, more mature. And so we came up with a completely different concept. And uh, which would still work. It was still fun. Uh, we were going to bring in Clancy Brown and Bill Fickner and all these other actors, to, oh. you know, 
and um, they just never. I mean, New Line was a bit not New Line. Uh, uh, Landsgate was a bit all over the place back then. Yeah. Summit had come in and it was all very different. A, they were making very different movies. Horror wasn't getting the attention that it used to get. And um, nobody there, there's nobody left to champion this old movie. So it just wasn't going to happen. It's such a shame because I, I love the remake so much. And again, just yeah, it was fun. a good, fun film. I mean, the Betsy Rue scene where he's sort of chasing along the hotel, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. For, a, for a mainstream film to have that scene yeah. in it was amazing yeah. to me. I, I prefer it to the original uh, version of it because I, I just, again, I think the internal logic of the story works better than it does in the original, which is a bit more, it, it just tied up far too neatly and, uh, you know, kind of, I think your stories are all natural stories. I think that's the strength of your films. Well, what I liked about the original is it wasn't, it wasn't a bunch of kids. They were adults. Yeah. And so we've carried that over. So you've got a horror movie, but it's, it's around adult themes. It starts out very teenager, but uh, you know, there's love triangles, kids involved. And I don't know. It just felt, it felt like a, it was a fun movie too. I, I've enjoyed the career that I had with, with Patrick Lucy and we still do stuff together. We were able to finish each other's sentences and, and think very similarly when it came to, and then there was stuff that he was very, he was good at that. I really wasn't good at. And there was stuff I was good at that he wasn't really good at. And, and that sounds like an insult, but it's not. I mean, that's that's what you have in marriage. That's what you have in friendship. I mean, that's sort of thing. We were able to do that. And uh, and that's why it was fun to work with him. And so we still work together. And we're, we're going to, we, I mean, we always, every writer always has 10 or 15 or 20 things moving forward. Because you never know which one single thing will go. And uh We've worked on so much stuff that we did remakes for The Fly. We did remakes for, you just, it just goes on and on. Every movie, Fright Night. We did so many versions of Fright Night. And, uh, so and your, those- your, fly, uh, your Fly script, was that a remake of the, the Cronenberg version or the, uh, the original, the Roger Coleman one? The Cronenberg version. Yeah, oh, right. which is interesting because the Grimmer version is a is a, a remake, remake in itself. Yeah, so it's, it, yeah, but it, we were it was we were doing a remake of the Cronenberg version. It was, uh, yeah, and it was uh, it was fun. But I mean, we were in a we were in a meeting, and uh, I can't remember what it was. Uh, we were at a Fox meeting, and they were like, you know, where's our big franchise? We were like, well, you have the fly. You're just sitting on this giant could be universe, and so we pitched them and. And it went forward for a little ways and then stopped. So t- today's horror uh, kind of climate or horror, where, where, you know, we talk about elevated horror, which I'm not quite sure what that means, but, uh, you know, and, and that's the talk about elevated horror. Where do, you, where do you think your kind of films, which are big, fun, just, you know, balls out movies, is there still a place for movies like that, do you think? hereditary world i think when the term elevated horror is just a weird freaking term it seems like it's a term that was created by people who are embarrassed to say they like horror it's thriller uh, for the 2020s (laughs) this isn't this isn't new when i started in the industry it truly was new line dimension very few others were making horror lionsgate eventually got into it but it was Scream that changed everything. Scream opened and flopped. Scream was an absolute flop. It made six million, 
and the next week it made nine million and the next week it made 11 million and it just became this monster and suddenly everybody was doing self-aware horror and it's changed everything you go on television right now there's horror everywhere mm -hmm. and um you know, that's, I think it probably started with Hannibal, but, you know, it's been around forever. I mean, Kolchak goes all the way back to the 70s or 80s. And so horror's been around, but it's never been like it is right now. No. And um, there's no, there's a lot of competition out there now because you have, you have Jordan Peele moving from comedy into horror and doing what a lot of people call elevated horror, but he's doing it from a standpoint of, I mean, he's coming in from a completely different point of view. He's mm -hmm. he's bringing in people of color, which but he's bringing them in in the, in the lead roles as opposed to, you know, all of us white guys, you know, certainly back in the past, the black guy was the first guy to die. Yeah. And so that's not the case anymore. And it's what's beautiful about it is when you bring in that set, that that different point of view, it's a whole new genre. It's a whole new way of watching movies. And so I, I love but I love all, I love all horror. I mean, I, elevated horror is just the only difference with elevated horror is the elevated budget. Is they're yes. allowing they're elevating the budget and elevating the 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 um, the quality of of crew and acting and instead of being brand new guys sort of breaking into the industry, you're bringing in established artists, which is you know certainly for horror. You go back and look at Friday the Thirteenth. Kevin Bacon had never done anything. So this was all untested talent. Now, when you see the when you see horror movies, you know suddenly you've got uh, all of these, you know, established actors and established crew, and it's it's very different. But you still have the other exists. So it's I, don't know, I think horror is fascinating. People want to be in horror now, don't they? You know that's the thing. You know, and it, it it's. Uh, it's considered the elevated horror thing irritates me because like it you say, me. Yeah. yeah, you know, like you say, it's, it's horror film, you know, get out. I mean, it's a horror film. It doesn't need to say elevated. It's a horror film. It's a very effective it horror film. And yeah. I think the thing is that that term is not being used by the people who are involved in the film. I've no. been, you know, you're Jordan, Jordan Peele's not, a, not yeah. a, referring to himself as an elevated horror director. Well, there's still right. lots of big fun films out there that say Freaky being one that had Ready or Not. Um, Malignant, which is one of the maddest horror films I've seen in ages. So there's still lots out there to watch. There's still yeah. lots of good, fun films. Well, some guys, just on Twitter yesterday, some guy came out and said that, you know, Jordan Peele is the, the best director forever because he's done all, a horror director because he's done these great movies together. He's done like oh, three great movies. Things. And someone else said, uh, so what about John Carpenter? He's like, yeah, I'm not really a fan of Carpenter. And then Jordan Peele came in and said, okay, there's not going to be any dissing of Carpenter on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, but, uh, I mean, I love, I love his movies and I can't wait to see Nope. Yeah. So, I'm, but at I'm the same time, to see it tomorrow. Yeah. I, at the same time, I can't wait to see the next Friday the 13th. If that courtroom drama ever ends, I can't wait to see the next Freddy. I, I mean, yeah. I want to see the next new thing. I mean, Freaky was amazing, and Freaky was was a remake of Freaky Friday, but the horror version. And I mean, everything about horror, and I've always said this, horror encompasses everything. It's comedy. It's there's romance. There's sex. There's I mean, every genre is inside horror, and that's what makes it so much fun to write. And uh, you know, you go in and you do a romantic comedy, and then you sever somebody's head. 
well, it's not exactly a romantic comedy anymore, is it? So, I, but I horror think can it, do that. It's that understanding that works so well in your films because it really shines. So that there's clearly a love, like when when you watch Jason X and you watch My Bloody Valentine, there's clearly a love of those original. I think you were a big fan of those franchises before you ever got near mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I think Halloween was probably. In the early stages, Halloween, I liked Halloween more than I liked Friday the 13th because Halloween felt more real. It felt mm. less, um, Friday the 13th was more fun. It was the comic book version where Halloween felt more like that could happen. And, uh, and then when Freddy came out, it was just your imagination runs wild because, you know, how do you not sleep? How do you avoid sleeping when that's where you can be killed? So it was beautiful. I think and, uh, that Freddy, particularly the Freddy films, the sequels up to a point were very good. Uh, Free the Dream Warriors one is probably one of my favourite. Uh, Dream Warriors sequels. is easily my favourite. Yeah, yeah, it it just does so much with the idea again. You know, like Jason X, it takes an idea and just builds on it and doesn't really worry about how big, how crazy the idea is. Yeah, and and I, and I think that's that's its strength. But then the later sequels, less less good. But on the subject of sequels, uh, Todd, what are some of your favourite sequels then? What are the, the sequels that for you are great examples of sequel making or sequel writing? Do you mean sequels that I would consider better than the original? or I'd, I'd be happy for you to consider it that way. Uh, I mean, I certainly, if you look at Star Trek, the Star Trek movies, um, Wrath of Khan to me stands out so far ahead of of most of the other movies. Um, Certainly um, Star Wars changed my life, but Empire Strikes Back stands out as a better sequel than than the original, than the Star Wars. Um, I don't know if it's because on a basic level, it changes, it breaks every rule that you would break in in movies. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Bride of Frankenstein is way better to me than Frankenstein. Everything about it, all the undertones, everything that's going on there is way better. Um, uh, I remember when uh, uh, Kane and I went to a Fango convention for Jason X. Rob Zombie was on stage because uh, his his directorial debut was coming out, and uh, I was excited for him because I was a bit because I was a zombie fan. And then he very subtly starts starts making fun of, of Jason X, which hurt my feelings. But I still think Devil's Rejects is the better is the better movie. It, it's by far a superior sequel, I think. I, I agree completely. I, it, it, again, to use guys, it, it just makes more sense as well. Like yeah. House of a Thousand Corpses is good, but it's, it's sort of interesting ideas and good scenes thrown together. Yeah. Whereas Devil's yeah. Reject works as a film. Yeah. I, it, it's a fantastic film and instantly portable as well. If you yeah. haven't said Tootie fucking Fruity at some point in your life, you haven't lived. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wrong Turn 2 is better than the, the original. Um, Bride of Chucky, I think, is better than the original. Um, and I'll, I'll throw Curse of Chucky in there as well, which is one of the, when they, they brought it back as the sort mm-hmm. of rebooty remake, whatever they did with it. Yeah. I, I thought they'd done that really well. Um, um my favorite Friday the 13th, it's hard to have a favorite because they're all so very different, but it's probably Jason Lives because Jason Lives introduces 
you know, it introduces a, a Jason that's not human, a Jason that can't be killed. Um, and it's fun. It's a fun, goofy film, and I, I enjoy that. Um, I definitely, I mean, there are movies out there that are fantastic sequels, but I wouldn't say they're better than the original. Certainly Terminator is mind-blowing. And I, I could probably put Star Wars in the same category. Star Wars is mind-blowing. Empire Strikes Back, you can't say one is better than the other. Uh, I could say the same thing with, with Alien and Aliens. Alien is freaking stunning, but Aliens is just this other whole other thing. Same thing with they're Terminator and Terminator 2. Yeah, they're very different films, aren't they? Yeah, very different films. Yeah, and Aliens does it. And that's why I think that's the kind of sequels. They're like sequels which are just playing the same tracks over and over again. I have no interest mm -hmm. in. But to take this very tense, kind of small cast horror film yeah. and then turn it into a full-out action movie for a sequel, mm -hmm. you know, that that's that's what sequels should be doing. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah, I'm it, gonna counter that a little bit though by saying I agree that there needs but Evil Dead Two. Which, I was just about to say Evil Dead Two. <laughs> yeah, which rehashes the same film, but is somehow I, I know the plot um, the budget is bigger, but it's 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 a much better film. Oh, it's a much better film, and I, I that was the next I was going to mention because it was popped in my head as you were saying that about uh, about Alien and Terminator. But um, yeah, Evil Dead Two stands out to me, but. I think it's, I think you're right. I think part of it is they had better budget, they had more confidence, they'd already done this. I mean, the first film was literally, the, you know, they're just fucking around out in the woods, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and suddenly they came back and they they could actually you know sit down and make a movie with some money and you know and, and it's it just it's it's a standout to me. Um, I can go back and uh, like, and this is this is. Well, weird example but i use it a lot and, and that is you know you look at the harry potter films the first harry potter is a kid's movie yeah. and 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 i even though i was an adult when i started reading you you grow up with these movies and they become darker and more adult and more adult and more adult and it's i can't think of a of a of a sequel franchise group that's done that that has grown up with their characters so i could never say that one movie I certainly love um, uh, the, of course, I'm having a brain fart. Um, uh, the one that Snape uh, comes out as the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. I, that one tends to stand out. The one, the, um, but the, the, the point is each one is very unique in, in the way that they have a progression where a lot of horror movies don't seem to have that. Now, granted, it's because it's based on on a book franchise, but um, I think there's a, there's a definite uh, film to be written, a horror film set in the Harry Potter universe. Where yeah. I, I think you know, because there are some real strong kind of horror troops in it. You have werewolves, the Dementors are uh, like something out of an M.R. James ghost story, and you could really yeah. ramp the horror up. You might yeah. not get the, you know the twelve year olds in to watch it, but. Uh, uh, and I can't I mean, imagine Warner Brothers would be willing to uh, yeah. mess with the franchise <laughs> like that. Well, it's funny you say that because I reached out to Gary Doberman about maybe a year ago. It was, right there, it was during the pandemic. And I said, you know, if you and James were to go to Lucas and said, I want to do a horror version of Star Wars, you know, because they're doing all kinds of, you know, yeah. they're doing the heist movie. They're doing all this stuff. 
you guys can get away with it. I couldn't. They're never going to let me do it because I put Jason in space. But you guys have a shot at this. And he was like, thank you so much for thinking of me. We actually, I did go in and had a general and I pitched them some ideas and they were very nice to me for about 45 minutes, but just not something they wanted to do. But if you look at Star Wars, there's ghosts. There's, I mean, there's horror inside Star Wars. You could do a very dark, scary Star Wars. I mean, they're not ready for that, but it, I think it will happen one day. Well, yeah, as I was say, open. you'd expect to be something that Disney are open to when you look at some of the things they're doing with Marvel now. And yeah, we've already yeah. got some zombie characters and we've got Raimi, you know, directing films again. And yeah, if they're willing to take Marvel down that route, then who knows what other franchises they're willing to, to roll the dice on. Because and the R-rated Deadpool that they're they, uh, putting into production now, you know, they, I think Disney are taking risks. And yeah. you've got the, the Predator prequel, sequel, whatever it is, uh, Prey coming out as well, which looks fairly uh, gnarly as well. So, you know, Disney seem to be taking risks. Yeah, but well, I you, think... Well, Sorry, go ahead. Well, so you go back and you look at Doctor Strange, I mean, you have Star Trek's Christopher Pike's head explode in the movie. <laughs> Yeah. And, and you, I mean, that's that's horror. Well, just, yeah, that whole just, scene is awesome. The whole thing just screams Raimi. There's, there's so many scenes. Oh, so yeah. You could drop them into Drag Me to Hell or into, into yeah. Evil Dead, and they would fit perfectly. Yeah, and, and cameos from Bruce Campbell helping yeah. along the way, but real. But fun but I mean, watch. even even if you go back to the original Doctor Strange, it is direct, written and directed by two horror guys. Yeah. So, you know, horror, but that's the thing. It used to infuriate me because the movies that I loved were the big, the big blockbuster movies. I loved Armageddon. I love, you know, that sort of, I mean, Deep Impact was good, but that's the, that's the, that's the intellectual version. I like the, the cartoon <laughs> Armageddon version, but uh, I like those big movies. And that's what I thought I would be doing out here. I thought I'd come out here, I'd get my foot in the door in horror as everyone does and everyone did. And then you move on to something else. James Cameron started in horror. Raimi started in horror. And then you move on. But when Scream came out, suddenly everyone was kind of stuck in the genre. And that's fine. But, you know, we like to tell stories. We like to tell all kinds of stories. I want to tell horror stories, but I also want to tell, you know, other kind of stories. Yeah. You know, but so if you could write a sequel for a non-horror film, any non-horror film, what would you like to do it for? Any known horror film. I mean, that's hard to say. Any known horror film. Um, I mean, I could write, I think I could do it with any known horror film. There's not one that stands out over the others. I mean, there's certainly, um, I don't think I have, it's like, I don't have a favorite food either because it depends on my mood. Um, <laughs> I uh, last night I, I wanted pasta, so I, I by God I had pasta. Um, no, I don't know. I don't think I have. Like I see movies. It just depends on the time. Like there's been times I've watched an Exorcist movie and thought, yeah, I, I could come up with a possession kind of story that would be pretty cool. And the same thing with you know, with Freddy and Jason. Like I, I wrote a Freddy versus Jason back in the day, and. Um, and loved it. you know to me it was king kong versus godzilla it was a, an event movie it was epic and uh, I I, i've never been i've never been the person who feels like if you remake a movie you're destroying the original movie you're not still there yeah 
it, it's like covers, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, you can and play a cover of a great song and it's still a great song. Yeah, a sequel doesn't destroy the original film. It just takes it somewhere different. When we worked on Hellraiser, it was, it was, it was not a remake. I guess it would be called a reboot. We weren't telling the original story. We were telling a story within that world that takes place in the world where that original movie happened. So is it a sequel? Maybe. Um, but uh, no. it's an interesting I, I, journey. I think the opposite. I think of a film, a remake or a sequel is that bad. It just makes you long for the original to go back and revisit it. Like nothing makes yeah. me want to watch Indiana Jones more than watching Crystal Skull. Like if Crystal's going, I'm watching this. I'm going back and watch Temple of Doom. So uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it ever takes away from from the original. Uh, but that's quite interesting stuff because in my head, I would love to see an Indiana Jones film that toured in Britain. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> there was a uh, back in the years uh, when I used to do Comic Con. There was a time period when I was in Thomas Jane's entourage, and uh, Tom and Tim Bradstreet an artist, Tim Bradstreet, would go to uh, Frank Darabont's dinners. Frank Darabont had this thing where every Saturday night, I think it was Saturday night, he would have a very exclusive dinner of maybe 20 people. And, uh, and you know, and it was, it was Gail Ann Hurd and, and, you know, the creators of, of Walking Dead. And it was just the, 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 the group of people that was there was just weird. And I was there because, you know, I don't know why I was there, but I was there for a couple of years. But I remember just sitting in that group of people and as they were talking about Walking Dead for the first time and, you know, and, and really not knowing anything about it. I kind of knew it was a comic book. Kirkman was there. And so it's just, you know, they're, they're talking about it. And suddenly to go back and now look at what this huge mammoth franchise that that has become and what it has spawned out, you know, other, you know, movies i mean horror really has changed the landscape i think you can trace it back to scream as the yeah. certainly there's you know we we can go back to hammer films and we can go back to frankenstein and you know horror's always been around but i think scream changed everything there, there was a definite lull before scream yeah, yeah. 90s was a desert for uh, for horror films uh, up until Scream, really. Yeah. You know, it's, uh... and I've I've worked through the 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 whole roller coaster of horror because after Scream, everything was very, very self aware. And then I don't remember what was next, but you know, the, I, I get the sequence out of order. But there was torture porn, which was you know, Hostel yeah. started and and went forever. And then there was uh, Asian you know, the influx of Asian horror, <clears throat> and there's slashers and I mean, it's and there's oh, monster okay. movies. What's that? Oh, yeah. From footage movies as well in the early 2000s. That's right. Paranormal Activity changed everything for a long time. And now Blumhouse was born out of that. And so Blumhouse is now giving you elevated horror. So, so Gav, I know you're not a big fan of the, the torture porn genre, but Hostel 2 was another one for me where I thought the sequel was better than the original, as good as the original was. And I do like Hostel. Hostel 2 kind of I'll ramped it up a bit by changing the characters. Hostel was a tough one because I, I worked on on the earliest version of Hostel before Eli Roth was involved. And um, and it was, you know, it was a bunch of kids going to stay in a hostel and they're partying and, and they're sleeping with the locals and so forth. And then some of the local parents get angry. And so it becomes more of this religious thing. It didn't go into the torture. And uh, 
Well, that was ages ago. And then when torture porn happened, my managers were like, dude, it's like, it's like printing money. Do you have anything? And I was like, for, I, for a year, I resisted. I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to write this stuff. It's not, it doesn't stimulate me. It's not intellectual. I don't, I don't, it's not something I want to do. But the coffers start to empty, the, you know, the credit cards start to fill up. So I wrote this thing called Medieval. And it was about a guy who lived in the town of a, of a Christian college who was attacking people who were uh, living in hypocrisy. They were saying, I'm you know, a follower of Jesus, but under, underneath they were, you know, they were fucking and sucking and doing all the things that, that you know, religious people don't do. And so he would bring you in and start torturing you and then, and then ask you to, uh, to give up someone else. You know, who else, who else out here in the Christian college is a hypocrite? And so either you give up your people that you know are your friends or you're tortured. And it was horrible tortures. And, uh, but I, you know, and I went out with it, but I went out with it too late. And I think it, I forget what the next genre was, but I didn't sell it. I was got a lot of praise for it because it was dark, but, uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad it's not out there. I'm glad we're not talking about that movie because it was a disgusting movie. So I, I, I think I, I well, in my defense, I would like to say I put some story in there and and, and some, but have some time. But again, there's that internal logic in, in this, the whole story. Hostel doesn't feel like that. Hostel is there to show horrible stuff. And if you compare Hostel to like the, the French New Extremity films, films like Calvé, you know, they do that thing far more intellectually with far more kind of heart to it. And what was that again? Films like... Uh, uh, Calvair, I don't know if you've ever seen Calvair or, or Martyrs. Mar Martyrs, I, 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 that's the one. Martyrs I know of, but I haven't yeah. seen it. What was the one you just said? And where is anything to write on? Okay, here's <laughs> right, it. It's called Calvair. Calvair. Cal it's, uh, it's a French-Belgian film. Uh, I think it's 2004. It's, it, it's fantastic. It's absolutely okay, fantastic. Cool. It's uh, it's hard to describe it. It's a bit like a really, really dark version of Deliverance, only with uh, cabaret songs. <laughs> well, I'm sold. I will watch it on the streaming uh, service of my choice. Well, when you sell it like that, it sounds like the most Todd film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's not quite that as lovely. Fun, but uh, but I, I would definitely recommend it. It's... Uh, and I'm not one for uh, for the more gory end of horror, but uh, it's one where the, the gore is earned, and and yeah. I never felt that with with Hostel. Um, horror sequels that perhaps surpassed the original in terms of the impact they've had culturally, at least. Um, Jaws fought. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Dawn of the Dead obviously became a massive mm -hmm. thing on the back of Night of the Living Dead and on the back of. of basically getting screwed over in Romero's case, which kind of made his career and then did. But Dawn of the Dead, are we, are we a bigger fan of Dawn or Night? That's mm, apples to oranges kind of thing. I mean, I don't, I don't, neither one. I, I like Dawn of the Dead, but I, I like Night as well. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to, uh, they're very different. It's, um, and it's hard for me to have a favorite in that one. It's like, yeah. it's, it's really hard for me to have a favorite. Friday the 13th, although I tend to have more fun with Jason Lives. Um, it's hard to say which 
with the Terminator movies, the first two really only exist to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. With, uh, you know, with the fly, the remake, Cronenberg's uh, fly, I don't like, I didn't really like the sequel. Um, I don't think I've I don't, seen that. It's got Eric, it's Eric Stoltz. And uh, no, I know I have seen ACS, yes, Son of Fly, isn't it? That's the, uh, the tagline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. when you have, you know, it's it's because when you have Alien and Aliens and you have Terminator and Terminator 2 and then you have the Fly and the Fly 2, it's there's just not the same progression. It's not. No. And, and uh, I'm thinking about, I, I'm a huge fan of Predator 2, but I know that's not same. Yeah. universally yeah. liked, but I think it tries like, to do something very different. Yeah, I like Predator 2. I like that. I like that it tries to do something different. I like suddenly that we're in a city. That's really cool to me. And so you've got these cops trying to solve a crime that's being committed by a hunter from the space stars. So, <laughs> yeah, and it, it awesome. great, great Gary Boozy performance in there as well, you know. Kind of, that's right. You know, just, just on the edge of sanity, kind of Gary Boozy performance. Yeah, back when he was into. just insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's still alive. He's still alive, isn't he? I, I believe so. I, I yeah. I, I, I don't think he's doing a great deal now. He, he did a reality TV show for a while, didn't he? Um, yeah, the, the the TV host guy show. Yeah. That guy? Uh, I forget his name. He disappeared after that show. <laughs> he's still alive, but he's 78, Gary Boosie. Bless his heart. Um, I, I've not got many more on my list. You know, I like to do lists, Gav. Um, final, final Destination 3 I put down because I thought that that sort of give it yeah. a jolt in the arm. As good as Final Destination was, 3 ramped yeah, up the good. fun a little it's bit. It's very good. Um, I was a big fan of that new roller coaster scene and everything that comes after it. It, it feels as a fun. And every horror element, it's got the comedy, it's got the tragedy, it's got the love story. It's got boobs. You need boobs now and again. Well, it's interesting because you some some sequels they get more love because of the success of the original, yeah. and some sequels feel like let's cash in. Final Destination never felt like a cash in to me. No. It felt like they were really throwing a lot of love at the sequel. Um, you look at the Fly Two. The Fly Two feels like a cash in. It doesn't feel like it had the same level of love. Um, you look at wrong turn to wrong turn to you can feel Joe Lynch's passion behind this horror in general. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's just a better movie. Um, but it's interesting to go back and look and I, you know, there's no, there's no rules to this. It's, you know, we're all just freaking winging it and pretending we know what we're doing. Um, <laughs> very few of us are just naturally gifted as I am um, in both, in both storytelling and nudity. Uh, <laughs> And, and, you know, for me, I think Scream 2 is a great sequel as well, yeah. because I think it, it exists in the universe of of the first film correctly as well. You know, it, yeah. it, and Freddy never felt like it did that for me. Freddy kind of kept shifting what was happening with that, where Scream mm. has this universe and lives within the boundaries of his universe. Yeah. And I think that's, that's quite yeah. difficult to do. Yeah. I, I yeah, thought... Scream I thought Scream 4 was better than 2, if I'm honest. 
as I like to, I like that it, it ramps up the, the crazy a little bit again when replaces uh, Skeet Ulrich's guy. But um, yeah, Scream 4 I thought was really great. And then, um, and now we've got, you know, they're, they're in the process of giving us another yeah. one. So, I mean, yeah. I, uh, the, the fifth nice. one was, fifth one was okay, I thought. I, I liked the fifth one, but I, uh, I, I'm, there's a soft spot in my heart for Scream because Scream, like I know that I have a career because Patrick Lussier has a career and Patrick Lussier has a career because of Scream, because you know, the Weinsteins were going to get rid of Wes and they went in and they quickly edited that, you know, Drew Barrymore opening and suddenly, you know, everybody stayed employed and it became what it became. So all of that, you know, it's a thin thread that holds this beautiful shed together. And uh, <laughs> it screams a part of that. So I'm, I'm very, and, and plus I love Vanderbilt as a writer. And I think, you know, I think I'm, I'm looking very forward to the next one. Well, we talk about Scream and how everything became sort of self-aware because of it, but then yeah. where's it done that sort of two years before with a new nightmare, which couldn't mm -hmm. be more self-aware. I mean, yeah. Freddie's literally killing the cast members. Like, it's, it's, I, it's... I love, I, I, I love that concept. I love that idea. Yeah. I love when, when, a, um, you know, it's like, I'm trying to think of an example, and the one comes out. It's completely not horror, but it's uh, Murders in the Building, the Steve Martin show yeah. on Hulu. I don't know if you're watching that, but yeah. I love the fact. And then in the middle of this, in the middle of this crime drama, Sting shows up as Sting, playing himself, and maybe he's the murderer. Sorry, spoilers for first season, but I love when a, I love when a movie or a TV show does that, where it sort of it breaks the. I don't know that it's necessarily breaking the what's the fourth wall. The fourth wall. Yeah. Um, but it's it, I, I like when it does that so i like new nightmare for that reason when we were working on halloween we worked on halloween 3d with the uh, uh rapey and his brother um we uh, we went back and forth with them a bunch and there was and harvey wanted to do he was stuck on this whole found footage thing because found footage was big at the time and so um so I kept, I tried to come up with some sort of uh, concept. So I go back to little rapey uh, Weinstein and I say, uh, what if we go in and pretend we're filming Halloween three, we bring in Tyler, we bring in uh, 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 scout, we bring in, you know, the, the people yeah. that are going to be in the movie and we film a little bit of it. And then we release to the public that uh, we've shut down production. But basically what, we've, what we do is we create a documentary of a couple of murders that happened during the, none of it is real. It's, all, it's yeah. all Blair Witch, but we make the public think that it's real. So they're talking about, well, why did Halloween 3D shut down? What happened? No one's talking about it. You know, you go up to Tyler Mann, you interview him and you're like, oh, it just, it just uh, it was financial problems. And then you start leaking all this information and then, and then eventually you release this documentary that has all of these murders and these people have gone in and they've done this investigation and, you know, and uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't go. I mean, that sounds, I'm all over that. That sounds amazing to me. I, don't I, thought, think it, I, I thought it was funny. A film I'd rather see. 
That sounds absolutely perfect. But you've got Tyler and you've got Scout and you've got, you know, all of me and Patrick and everybody. And we're all acting, you know, we're all lying and acting scared and someone died and, and then someone else is murdered and someone, someone in the crew maybe is doing it. Or is it a fan from outside? No one knows. And didn't happen. But yeah, I have millions of those. <laughs> um, on a personal note, then I, um, for sequels, Poltergeist 2 for me, because as much as I love Poltergeist, uh, I'll never be more scared than the Reverend turning up in Poltergeist 2. He was the, the That's creepy. a creepy, creepy character. Feels like it's maybe, um, I don't know if anyone ever came out and said that it is an homage to um, um, Phantasm, but, yeah. uh, but uh, it always felt like it to me. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's got that kind of tall man energy, hasn't it? Yeah, you the know? tall man energy is definitely there. Uh, Gav, do you want me to give you the floor so you can uh, wax lyrical about Halloween three season of the witch? Is this, this well, is the moment uh, to shine? I, I, I appreciate that Halloween three is actually a very bad movie, but at the heart <laughs> of at the heart of it, I think there is a very very good movie. Uh, Nigel Neal's original script. I would love to see that actually made. Yeah. You know, you know, Nigel Neal's kind of horror and science fiction writing for British TV is amongst my favourite stuff, and I would have yeah. loved to have seen him with a big budget. But you know, it's uh, we also get to see someone destroyed by a laser being fired out of a bit of Stonehenge. So you know, there's there's fun to be had in the, the film. I mean, it's clear Carpenter was high. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt he was lit that day and the day after but um no uh, halloween three is 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 absolutely a favorite of mine and i didn't i remember when i went to see it i was completely freaking confused <laughs> like i didn't i didn't understand what was happening this just where's michael and eventually you get caught up in the story and so you're not paying attention you're not looking for michael anymore but i didn't know when i went in that it wouldn't be like i i didn't i don't know that i'd never watched the trailer but i remember being completely confused but i still to this day love it because it is just so absolutely batshit it's just crazy it, it has no internal logic at all you know kind of they've no, taken Neal's original just... script and go, but, yeah, we like these bits, but these bits can go out the window. And yeah, it's the, but I love it. Oh, no, it's, it's great. It, it, yeah. it's, it's not a great movie. It is hugely entertaining. And sometimes that's all you want from a horror film, I think. You, know, yeah. it's, uh, you don't want to be elevated. You don't want to be intellectualized. Sometimes sometimes you want to see a woman getting hit by a laser beam and then snakes coming out of her face. Yeah. I mean, you can't... Uh, I mean, Halloween... You can find you can find issue with Halloween. You can find issue with you can find issue with every movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I know when we were working on Fright Night, we always thought it was it was stupid to order a prostitute to your house because there's a trail. Why would you do that? You would pick up the prostitute, you bring her back to your house. No one knows where she, you know. It's little stuff like that would would logically bother me. And I don't like to be the logic police in a, in a movie, but at the same time, if there is a hole, a plot hole, you try to fill it. Here's a vampire that's been alive forever. He's going to be freaking smart. So don't make those kind of mistakes. So, you know, little stuff like that. So, so logic has always been important to me. Um, it's not, there are times when you have to break logic for the, the sake of, of the movie, but. Uh, 
I think the biggest non-logical thing for Season of the Witch for me is the the two lead characters and the fact that they have no chemistry. They're not even of a similar background, age, or anything. Within seconds of meeting each other, mm-hmm. apparently now having sex. I don't know what, at what point there was any sort of sexual chemistry between them until they were up. Oh, there was, there was none, but yeah. you're forgetting the fact that Tom Atkins is hung like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know him better than me, so that's, that's what it no, was. Oh, yeah, it's down to his <laughs> knee, man. Um, <laughs> There's a mental image I didn't imagine I'd have today. Yeah. I thought it was the moustache that they'd done it, but obviously that's where I was it was longer than that. Um, no, Tom. Tom is Tom's a buddy. That uh, he's now been in three or four of our films. Um, the only reason he was cast in, in Halloween, uh, not Halloween, uh, My Bloody Valentine, is because someone mentioned to Patrick, you know, Tom lives in Pittsburgh, and that's where we're. Did we film in Pittsburgh? We say Pittsburgh, but sometimes I get it wrong. Um, wherever we found, he lives right there. Um, <laughs> I've I've killed a lot of brain cells over my over my yeah but, uh, Southwest Pennsylvania, of course. Yeah, we're not far from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, but he's um, man, he's a good guy. He, he's great. Well, he, 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 you know? Yeah, he, he's an icon. He's an icon of horror yeah. for me. He's one of the greats. Even when he's not being great, he's he's still he's doing great. Yeah. <laughs> he's fun. Brilliant. He was in this. He was in. Uh, he was in this thing we did that, that three people saw called Trick, and he was so much fun. And it was cold, and we were in you know Upper New York, and he was freezing, but he's so much fun. I have another film. Uh, you've. I'm surprised you've not mentioned that's come up on the podcast before as well. Is uh, Dracula AD nineteen seventy two, which I know. No, well, is I don't know if Todd's seen Dracula AD nineteen seventy two. It's a nineteen seventy two. It's yeah. It's a hammer. hammer it's a hammer horror. It's the seventh, oh. uh, the seventh uh, Dracula film that Christopher Lee does for Hammer. It, it is absolutely dreadful, but it's also <laughs> my. It's uh, the first horror film I ever watched as a child, and and I absolutely love it. There's a Dracula's manservant, Alucard, is killed by somebody shining a mirror at him and then he falls into a, a shower, which apparently <laughs> uh, vampires can't be under running water. Spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> well, it, no, it's I'm... hardly spoilers as a 50-year-old film. Not had, <laughs> not had the pleasure. It's worth a watch. We, we did a whole podcast episode on that. Um, th- this was the other result. I could live with Season of the Witch beating ginger snaps i could not live with dracula 80 1972 being better than monster squad which it just isn't <laughs> well fangoria had their chainsaw awards recently and uh they reached out and they said hey you know we're doing this thing so could you do a little quick little interview a little self-interview where you, yeah. t- you talk about what what was your introduction to horror and i did it and i i was cut from the show because i'm unimportant but uh, the, my introduction to horror was, was 79's Dracula. And uh, like I, we used to have this thing in, in, in Kentucky. I don't know if it was all over the States where you would have free HBO. Like they, they would allow you free HBO for a weekend to sort of introduce you to HBO. 
And so I would, you know, I would sneak into the living room and watch movies that I wasn't supposed to watch at my age. And, and that's when I first saw Dracula. Like I hadn't seen any of the others. That's the Langella, uh, the Langella, Dracula, the Martina one. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. Where at the end he gets hoisted into, you know, on the ship. But uh, it was just like, it's funny to think back on that when you're introduced to, because you know we we were we were the kids who left the house, you know, at sunrise and didn't come home until ten o'clock at night and didn't have cell phones, didn't check in, you know. We were, you know, we were playing with the metal tonkas that, you know, you could sever your hand on, <laughs> you know, it was, we, we were those. And so I'd never seen anything really scary. That's the first thing I saw was scary. And I was just like, what is this new world that's been, it's been disclosed to me. So, yeah, but no, I'll, I, I, I'm not just based on these images. I'm not promising that I'll go check out uh, Dracula AD 72, yeah. but it's good to know it exists. The first 20 minutes is, is Quite, I, I take that back. Within within thirty seconds, there's a really bad dance sequence with the band playing in a in a, this high class party. It's very strange. It's there's no scene I can talk about that by the end of me thinking about it, I think that's very very strange. Actually, was this their last Dracula together? Uh, Lee and no, they, they do the Satanic rites of Dracula after this. More. Yeah. <laughs> The, the Satanic wow. Rites is the last one. Uh, it's set in the 70s as well. It, it's got quite an interesting premise. Uh, Dracula comes back and he's a CEO of a company and he wants to create a virus that kills everybody so he himself can eventually die because there'll be no one to feed from. Interesting. <laughs> but why does he just not feed from anyone? because well, everyone will be dead. That's the plan. I don't yeah, but why know. There's not much logic to the story. If that's what he wants, why doesn't he just stop biting people? <laughs> you, so, I mean, you make, you make a good point. Yeah. <laughs> if I want to become a vegan, which I don't, by the way, but I don't think if it just all the animals just died, then I could become a vegan. Like, I just, just do it yourself. It's a 70s Hammer film. There's no actual logic to what is going on in any 70s Hammer film. True. But they are they are worth a watch. Well, yeah, I would say I would say 8072 is worth a watch, just so you can say you've seen these the, the ritual is pretty good. I quite like the ritual. But yeah, it, so part many... of it is good, yeah. But you know, I if you're gonna uh, listen, uh, gonna watch any of the films we've recommended, Todd, I would recommend Calve far more than I would recommend uh Dracula <laughs> AD right. I got that one written down, so I can do that. Yeah. What, what's the other um, new wave French with the neo-Nazis? Frontiers. Oh, Frontiers, Frontiers, that's yeah, fantastic as well. That, that's a yeah, very that, good watch. That's, that is. Again, it's, it takes what Hostel does, but does it with a lot of political commentary and a lot of soul. Right. Let's go. So, I've got, got lost on a Dracula thread. <laughs> yeah, once you yeah, go down I, that wormhole that you're never coming back honestly I kind of I, I would avoid all the Dracula horror films uh, after Daughter of Dracula don't don't touch any of the other Hammer ones other than that the first two and they are I love them but they are absolutely shocking and uh, and, I, and I wouldn't want you to waste your time watching them but 
So, Todd, uh, thank you massively for your uh, your time and you know, kind of uh, it's been uh, fantastic here behind the scenes of films uh, we love and, and having a discussion about sequels in a, a wider sense. So, uh, are we going to be getting anything from you soon coming out? Or I uh, just uh, just close a deal on a remake, which uh, as soon as the money shows up, I'll start writing. <laughs> well don't expect it on a Friday because they'll collect the interest over the weekend that's really so. true so, but uh, yeah there's that and then um, we're uh, we're heading to uh, we're probably going to go to Turkey for um, is it July? so early August we're going to head to Turkey for a couple of weeks then we're going to go to Greece for a couple of weeks and then we'll get, end up in Ireland for probably a month Maybe through Christmas. I don't know. But uh, the great thing about being a writer is you can write from anywhere. So we tend to uh, we tend to write from anywhere. <laughs> so we'll be in your neck of the woods. We'll come yeah, over and have a pint. I will be more than happy with that. <laughs> I can show you some really nice places to go and some some Perfect. some not so nice ones as well. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll do both. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fantastic Avenue. Uh, hopefully, we can get you back on at some point in the future as well. We'll, we'll do it another Yeah, next time thing. you get bored, just call me up. We'll do it again. Oh, <laughs> gladly. Don't, don't tell us that. You'll never get us off the phone. But uh, thanks very much for being with us. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Uh, before you go, where, where can people find you social media wise? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm on uh, I'm Todd underscore farmer on uh, Twitter and uh, and Instagram, and but mostly I just bitch about Trump. <laughs> so, you, I mean, you see that like it's a bad thing. Yes. No, it's it, not we do thing. the UK, UK equivalent of that, really. You know, we uh, we complain about our government a lot, so you know, it's uh, yeah. it's the right thing to do. And you say that, but you've got the most wholesome Instagram account on of, of all the accounts that I follow on Instagram. That's probably true. I do, I do, I don't, I don't tend to, I don't tend to go there with Instagram. I tend to bitch more on uh, on Twitter. Twitter. I went to a Christian college and I, I'm from uh, a small town in Kentucky. So I will constantly on Facebook, I'll just put up, you know, if you voted for Trump, you're right. You're a fucking idiot. You know, stuff like that, because I want them to know how I feel. I don't want there to be any, I don't want it to be cloudy. I don't think there's any chance that you're no. a man with your way, way with like words. I don't think there's any question of that. Yeah, fewer minced. Uh, yeah. So that's all well, I have to say. Is this, oh, uh, sorry, ping, ping me on Instagram and I'll follow you back. I think you, you're already following my personal one, but I'll, okay. I'll do it well, for the show. Perfect. Yeah, and we'll follow you on Twitter as well. I'll get that sorted. Just let me know. That's all that's left to say. So thank you. So uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you, Todd. Thank you as always, Gal, for, for coming thank on. You. And thanks to you for listening. Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye now. Bye.